आज की ताजा खबर बेंगलुरु में रहने वाले लू और अमेरिका में रहने वाले सेठ आपसे कुछ बात करना चाहते हैं संगीतकार राजेश के साथ आपका स्वागत है What's going on people? Welcome to another episode of Lucid and here's Sid. And I want to start off this podcast by saying that networking events work because uh, one of the main guests for today's podcast, I met her during a networking event. It was in my previous semester where I randomly went to went into a networking event and I met this wonderful human talking passionately about VC and the whole VC space itself. And at that moment, I knew that I had to bring her onto the podcast. Today's guest for this episode is Jenny Graham, who is a MBA student at Duke's Fuqua School of Business and has previously worked worked in supporting sustainable businesses in company uh, in uh, sustainable businesses and supporting founders in Afghanistan, Myanmar, and Middle East. So. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the podcast. How Hi, are you today? It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So let's get started. I think, Jenny, uh, I want to start off with talking about your origin story. Uh, you're, you started at this company called Turquoise Mountains. Uh, let's talk about your experience. How was your experience there in supporting all these founders? Sure. So let me begin by telling you a little bit about Turquoise Mountain in general. So... Turquoise Mountain is a uh, organization is an organization that supports artisan entrepreneurs in communities affected by conflict. So we worked across countries like, as you said, Afghanistan, Myanmar, and countries in the Middle East. I was fortunate enough to uh, spend some time with our projects in in Jordan, Afghanistan, and Myanmar, um, working across marketing and fundraising functions. Um, and the Turquoise Mountain model mm-hmm. is really all about supporting um, supporting kind of ambitious creatives in the creative sector to launch and run their own businesses and uh, support their communities, hire more people. Um, it's this model of sustainable development through entrepreneurship. Um, and it was it was an amazing place to work. I got the opportunity to meet with founders uh, from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, um, most of whom, or, or, or I should say all of whom were ambitious, were incredibly resilient, um, and were very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one interesting question I had was when I was reading about Turquoise Mountains is, you know, supporting founders in these places like Afghanistan, Myanmar, Middle East. What are the challenges like? Because I know like compared to supporting founders in developed countries versus these places, what were the kind of challenges you faced while supporting sure. them? So there were a number of challenges. Um, I will touch on a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was primarily was this point of navigating uncertainty, right? So in a lot of these countries, there are quite tricky political, um, economic situations, um, you know, everything from the effects of the pandemic, which obviously impacted us all to to very localized political unrest. Um, And these kind of wider, um, these wider factors really impact uh, the life of an entrepreneur and the life of 
someone who was trying to build a business um, in these places. So that that was the main challenge and, and trying to support them through that when the uncertainty was was on all sides. So we didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen. We had to sort of build in resilience and, and, and build in this kind of flexibility um, to the way in which they operated. So that was one main challenge. The other challenge was helping was helping them to reach clients and helping their clients and customers to really feel a connection with our entrepreneurs, many of whom were thousands of miles away uh, on a different side of the world. That was that was a unique challenge and one that um, I was tasked with uh, with sort of overcoming. <laughs> but it was it was incredibly rewarding to kind of create these connections and help customers um, help customers find these businesses, help these businesses find their customers. Um, that was that was the the a fun challenge certainly to to try and uh, try and address. <laughs> right. Uh, to follow up on that, like I had two questions, and my first question is, what was the culture of like entrepreneurship like in these places? Right. Like, say, uh, take the US or the UK. There's a lot of talk about entrepreneurship. There's like a lot of support, but. Uh, what about these people who are trying to build local businesses? Like, uh, uh, what were their confidence levels like? Would you speak to uh, things like sure. that? So on the confidence level front, absolutely the same. And that's one of the most incredible things okay. uh, in working in, in right. those parts of parts of the world. So mm -hmm. I would say, first of all, that founders anywhere are uh, incredibly resilient, incredibly ambitious, by nature, very optimistic people. They want to make the world better through their ideas and, and their inventions. And they're very hardworking. I would say that's a universal trait or you know, those are universal traits right. across all uh, all countries. And there's an element of craziness in there too. Founders have to be crazy. So that's, that's definitely part yes. of it. <laughs> so yep. that, there's no difference there. I think the difference is really around, um, is really around those kind of localized, um, those localized challenges. So, um, depending on a founder's background or which country they were operating in. Um, I think uh, those types of challenges just, just make the, um, make the entrepreneurial journey quite distinct in each of those, each of those places. Right. There isn't as Ooh. much for, I'll give an example. There isn't as much, um, kind of ecosystem support, right? So there are not accelerators mm -hmm. on every corner. There are not VCs or ways to meet VCs, uh, you know, often um they have to fight harder to reach their customers in some ways so those are the kinds of kinds of sort of unique challenges that that the entrepreneurs we worked with had to face right yeah and the second question i had was you said that the fun challenge was about uh connecting uh the founders to say vcs customers and like the creating the whole ecosystem for them and uh like talking about like uh, people from other countries say the us or the uk uh how do they feel about these founders right because these are people uh where the startup ecosystem hasn't been built that much so uh what about the confidence of those people supporting these founders i would say the response was was pretty incredible so our our founders mm -hmm. in particular weren't seeking at the stage that we were helping them weren't seeking kind of VC funding or institutional funding. It's, it's not so much appropriate for right. the creative fields. Um, but just in terms of mm -hmm. the wider entrepreneurial ecosystem in those countries, um, I would say 
I, I would say people were people were pretty people were pretty excited to connect with with people doing cool things wow. in difficult places. I think it's right. a real testament to their character, and I think people recognize that. Mm -hmm. um, so once they knew of them, it was really easy to create those uh, or to facilitate those connections. Um, you know, whether that be buying a piece of their work or um, supporting them through some of our uh, sort of grant funding or entrepreneurial grant funding. Right. Uh, and it was really just a matter of, of putting them in front of those people. Uh, not physically, unfortunately, it's quite tricky, mm. but um, digitally and right. uh, in other ways, getting them in front of, right. of new audiences. Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, I generally keep thinking about this. It's just putting yourself out there and trying to make sure that more people get to meet you and you never know where opportunity strikes. Right. Uh, I know you've you know worked a good number of years at this company supporting these founders. What are you, like your best experiences and memories uh, uh, oh my from goodness, here? That's a great question. My... I think my best experience was was probably uh, a trip I took to Yangon where we were supporting um, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. in the weaving textiles sector. Uh, so Yangon is this wonderful old capital, capital of Myanmar, for those who don't know. And it is, it is both a beautiful city and it is filled with beautiful people who are so kind. And I would count many of the people that we worked with among that number. Um, I I really enjoyed getting to connect with with some of the supported businesses out there. I enjoyed seeing them at work, which was which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it just you know, it like I've described facilitating those connections was so important in my work, but it was also really important for me to kind of connect with the entrepreneurs that, uh, that we yeah. worked with. I felt a lot closer to those who I worked closely with in, in Jordan, for example. Um, but I didn't have a lot of opportunity prior to that visit to, to connect with, with our supportive businesses in Myanmar. So I think that was one of the most sort of transformative experiences of my time. That's amazing to hear. So you've worked a good number of years at Turquoise Mountains, and then you decide to start the Duke MBA journey. Uh, could you tell us about that? Why did you decide to come to Duke? Sure. So I spent about three and a half years working at Telcoise Mountain um, and really loved it. But I began to develop an interest in impact investing via the VC model in particular. We were this kind of, mm -hmm. we were this sort of entrepreneurial support system that was loosely connected to, but outside of the VC world. And I began to see that actually some of the most amazing world-changing ideas were coming out of VC-funded businesses. And one right. thing you need to know about me is I'm incredibly driven by impact, right? I really want to uh, mm -hmm. work with people who want to change the world. I want to work with people who are really passionate about helping people. And I began to see that actually the VC model or the VC space was a great place to find those people, was a great place to do that sort of work. Um, and I realized that I, I could and should do, you know, I, I, I realized I did have this talent for, you know, working, working closely with businesses, identifying problems, solving, solving them. And I had this ability to be curious about lots of different things. And I think all of those are skills that feed quite well into being a VC. And so 
with this sort of hypothesis, I decided to apply to business school to to kind of see, you know, is this actually true? Do I, could I actually do this? And um, I'm pleased to say that I, 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 most of them have been proven true so far. I feel as though um, it was a good theory and I am discovering the truth about a lot of different skill sets that I have that are appropriate for VC, uh, which is great. <laughs> That's great to hear. I am super excited to move into the world of VC. But before that, I just want to know, how is your, I know you've done, uh, you've finished your first year of MBA. How has your year one MBA experience been so far? It has been incredible. Um, I cannot uh -huh. overstate the importance of an MBA for me. It's not for everyone. I will say that. But mm -hmm. for me in particular, mm -hmm. it has been totally transformative. I think the most, there are probably two big important things that have come out of my first year. And the first is, this network building piece, I've managed to develop connections with future founders, future investors across lots of different sectors, um, lots of innovative, very mm -hmm. ambitious people who are in my class and outside of my class. Uh, I think that has been an incredible experience and one I can't, I don't know if I would have had otherwise. And the second is, right. the second is really building that skill set. I found building my skills in kind of finance and business and strategy more broadly has, I think only helped me uh, to be better at uh, what I hope will be my future job in, in full-time job in VC. Right, got it. So I think you brought up an important piece of networking and I'd like us to dig deep into it. So can you uh, tell us like, you know, there's this huge talk about networking, say you need to keep networking, say for your job, future opportunities and et cetera. Uh, how like, how has networking helped you and what according to you is networking? Because there have been like a lot of definitions. Some say you need to uh, network at a higher level, uh, like, and some say you need to network at a deeper level. So yeah, I'd like, uh, like you to talk about it. Sure. So I guess the, the first thing I'll say is that a lot of people get quite scared of networking because it feels like this big formal scary mm -hmm. thing. And it can be, it definitely can be. But I think when you really break it down, I would define networking as just a way, a way to kind of, a way to create connection and a way to build your knowledge in a space, which doesn't sound so scary right. uh, necessarily. It's a great way to make friends with people in your space who, you know, if you're in the VC world, can send you future deals to whom you can send future deals, um, who can refer founders to you or who could be founders. I think those are both great things. Um, but beyond mm -hmm. that, it's just a way to uh, meet with people who are passionate about what you're passionate about and to share interests. And that can be super fun. Uh, and it doesn't have to be as formal as discussing industry trends or, um, you know, things that are specific to work. It can just be about finding someone who likes to has the same hobby as you and um, you right. can connect on that level. So I think it can mean lots of different things to different people, but I think it's really important to to think of it as think of it as less you know scary and formal in your mind, and just approach it as something that is fun and maybe useful, but mostly fun. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, I remember. Uh, I feel like until last year when I joined Duke, I had never networked before. And then once I came into Duke, uh, everyone's like, you have to network with people. Otherwise, you're not going to get an internship. And I did start networking. And 
I one thing I realized is that you're not going to have the same kind of connections with everyone. You know, you're going to vibe with some people, you might not vibe with some people and that's okay. It's not that your your uh, the way you're networking is bad. So it's because at the end of it it's it's a human connection and it depends from person to person. Uh I wanted to know from you like do you have like some uh some method to network or do you uh uh network regularly what's your secret oh my goodness um so i think i think my secret is to just stay curious so what i mean mm-hmm. by that is the least stressful way to network and the easiest way to network is simply to just keep asking questions um right. i had a uh, a professor at business school who told who has told me and i find this to be true that people love to talk about themselves and people like mm-hmm. to talk about things about which they are an expert and who is more expert about you know you than you so right. i think it's i think it's really it's a good way in and it's a good sort of hot tip to just keep asking questions about people stay curious um mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're feeling nervous about talking about yourself just ask the other person about about themselves what they do what they like what they're interested in what they see as an interesting trend in a space i think that can be a way to um keep the conversation going it can be a way to mm-hmm. uh build a connection if you're someone who's not super familiar with networking and it's a great way to learn as well right that's true that's true i uh, i feel like you know it's just those like first few conversations say like you do it with five people then you're okay with it you're like okay cool i know what what is going to come so yeah i think it's just that start that you have to do absolutely so This is the most interesting part I want to talk about. It's the venture capital space. This is the space uh, you are aspiring to get into. So l- what is venture capital uh, to break it down for people who don't know anything about okay. it? Great question. Um so venture capital is a uh is an asset class. It is it is a subsector of private equity. So it is a means by which people deploy money into early stage or, or late stage startups um in return for equity in return for a share in that business at its very basic level that is what it is um it <laughs> is you may have heard the stats that you know 1 in 50 startups succeed so that will tell you it is a very risky asset class um but it is also a very high you know alongside along with that comes the high return so venture capital is is a means for which to create outsized returns um through investments in in startups right yeah and i think the, over the past 2 years i think most of the people have heard, heard about vc funds because so many startups getting vc funding so many companies uh, getting a lot of funds and i've heard about all these big funds like a16z sequoia capital and they have this huge funds right so how do these people get funds of such big money it's like 100 billion dollars 10 billion dollars so how do they get these funds that is a very good question as well so um every vc firm is is different in how they they raise their mm-hmm. funds um but the right. primary means of sort of accumulating that you know big big pot of money in which with which to invest um is through an lp so an lp is a limited mm-hmm. partner um and they are typically large asset managers so pension funds um endowments uh family offices big corporations 
um, anyone who who manages a large a large sum of money, um, and as part of their wider portfolio, they will allocate a certain amount to um, private equities and within that to venture capital. Uh, so mm-hmm. a typical VC fund will consist of you know general partners, um, and it will go all the way down partners, principals, associates, analysts, um, depending on how okay. big your your fund is. But the general partners will go out and they will raise funds from limited partners uh, who will um, who will invest in 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 funds, um, and that's the main model. Um, I will say, mm-hmm. however, that uh, the VC fund for which I I work uh, part time is Tower View Ventures, part of Alumni Ventures, nice. which has a slightly different model. It's it's a network powered venture capital model. Um, and what that means okay. is Alumni Ventures raises its funds from individual institutional investors. So that is people oh, okay. with, uh, I believe the criteria is a salary of $200,000 or more for the last two years. You qualify as an institutional investor if you, ha- if you are at that threshold. Um, and you can invest into the Alumni Ventures portfolio of venture capital. Uh, I think the minimum check size is uh, between 10 and 25K. Uh, and you can get exposure to 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 the venture capital to to the asset class. I know there are a number of other funds who operate in this way, um, but it's still mm-hmm. not not the mainstream way. The main way to, that people get involved in venture capital is um, is as an LP, as a pension fund. Oh, okay, that's really interesting. And what are these people promised for you know putting this money into VC? Again, it varies massively by fund, um, but mm-hmm. I think the 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 main sort of promise or, or the main the main idea is is to 3x their investment um so they're looking hmm. for a 3x return over the course of 10 years which is the typical life cycle okay. of a vc fund okay and uh so it's like say i'm lp and i invest x amount of money into this vc fund so do I have to wait for 10 years for uh, getting my money back or is it like regular intervals of time? How does that work? So it, is that a set standard? It really depends on the fund structure. Um, most mm-hmm. of the time, uh, your money is locked away for the 10 years. So it's a very it's a very illiquid okay. asset class, which is why there are mm-hmm. such high thresholds for getting involved in VC um, right. and why it tends to be mostly institutional asset managers who, who invest in, in venture capital. Um, there okay. are funds who do return um, return funds to LPs within that right. ten year time frame, but the majority mm-hmm. tend to return it after after that period. Okay, and do uh, these VCs operate in certain themes, like in their investing patterns? Is it like only tech, only thing, uh, uh, only uh, social causes, or is it like uh, this VC can go into a wide array of fields also? Sure. So. Again, with this one, it, it does it does depend. Um, there are a large right. number of generalist funds out there who are sector agnostic. Mm-hmm. They'll invest across anything from fintech to health tech to climate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are stage agnostic funds as well. So they can invest from pre-seed, seed, through to A, B, C, anything later than that. Uh, um, right. It really depends what kind of what kind of fund um, what kind of fund you're looking for or what kind of fund you are. Uh, but right. I'll say um, Tower View Ventures, which is the the fund for which mm-hmm. I work, um, we are we are all of that, all of that. We are sector agnostic. We are stage agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, we 
allocate certain amounts of our portfolio to sort of pre- to the seed stage, the pre-seed stage, and then all the way through. And we try to maintain a diversity of of sectors within the portfolio um, as a as a means of kind of hedging against against the risk that might come with being fully invested in fintech. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I want to talk talk to you about your experience at Tavaview Ventures. So I know that uh, you mentioned uh, you invest in companies from various sectors. So what is the process of vetting these companies doing the background checks? Like, how do you know, okay, uh, this company has a higher probability of succeeding, so I will invest in it. Sure. So everyone has a different method. Um, it can vary massively. My apologies. I'll start that again. So everyone has a different method. Uh, with when it comes to vetting companies but the way I think about it is sort of two different sections so I will think about the company and I'll think about the deal on the company side so the sort of things that I will look at are things like team do they have a background in this space do they have expertise in this space Um, do they have the um, resilience and, and character to succeed the second right. aspect is is business model. So do they have a viable business model? Do the unit economics work? Is it highly scalable? Mm-hmm. Do they have sustainable competitive advantage? Are they defensible in the space? Can others come along and do what they're doing instead or do it better? Uh, that's really right. important, that one. Uh, I'll also look at the addressable market. So is there a large market mm-hmm. opportunity here for the product that they're building? Um, and will people want it? Will people pay for it? Uh, and then right. the final thing on the company side is is growth and traction. So this will vary depending on what stage of business we're looking at. But typically, mm-hmm. we'll want to see something along the lines of, um, you know, customer adoption or they need to have proven themselves in the market somehow. Um, and that can right. be from, you know, that can be from paying customers or it can be from building a beta and getting it out there and showing that people want it. Um, but that is important. Um, right. On the deal side, uh, I'd look for, you know, strong co-investors. So who else is investing in this round? Um, do they have the right expertise to help this startup overcome some of the future challenges that it might face? Is it an attractive valuation? Um, and are the terms of the deal good? And do they line up with with where the market is today, which is crucial? Um, and then finally, does the does the fundraise provide the the startup with a decent runway? So are they going to be coming back to me in two months asking for more money? Or is this, mm. is this um, venture round going to last them 12, 18, 24 months? Um, and that, that can be really significant. Right, right. Yeah. My next question is from my experience of watching Shark Tank. <laughs> That's uh, where a lot of people come in and they say like, you know, 100K for 10%. And then some people say 1 million for 10% uh, of their company. So say when a startup founder comes and he pitches a new concept which a new product which is not there in the market and you don't have any competition to compare it with uh, uh like what is the process in that uh, at that time how do you decide what is the uh, deal going to be and how are you going to structure it sure so as as tower view ventures we tend to offer follow on uh, uh we tend to follow into rounds so we don't actually lead. And what that means is we will okay. accept the terms of the lead investor in that venture round. Uh, and so they okay. will often set the valuation. Um, okay. They will set a number of other um, terms, you know, liquidation preferences and other 
other things. So we tend to accept the terms of the lead investor as a general rule. And that's why the co-investor piece is so strong. We set such Mm. store by who is the, who else is in this round? um, And do they have a strong track record in the space? Got it. Got it. Yeah. And uh, the the next question I want to ask you is uh, that there are a lot of people who are, you know, trying to build companies. There's more number of people coming into the startup space and most of the times they start out building the product first. Obviously, they do not think think about venture funding or any funding at all. Uh, but say they're at the stage when they, where they have to raise capital. Uh, what are the things a startup founder needs to think about while approaching VCs? And what does what does he or she need to think about? Uh, you know, on building their portfolio when they're going for this VC funding. Sure. So. I'll say, first of all, that your comment about being product focused is absolutely right. I think it is so mm-hmm. important for a founder to just get their head down and build. Um, and that is the most important thing. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is important to court investors and to, to find the right people to work with, people who will support you to do what you need to do. Um, right. But maintaining that product focus is just the absolute most important thing. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to talking to investors and you know making sure those conversations go well i guess the number one piece of advice i i would give to a founder is just prove your product in the market first so just build it and then test Mm -hmm. and iterate 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 so test some more Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. make tweaks uh you know send it out see what people say and just get that get that customer feedback and make sure that what you're building is something that customers want um, does it work right. for them? Are they going to pay for it? How much are they going to pay for it? That is just mm. the most important thing. And I think while there are lots of things I could say about how to talk to investors and what the tenor of that, you know, um, of your pitch should be and that conversation should be, I think just evidence trumps all. And I think um, mm. if you have something that is proven in the market, whether whether it's just an, a beta test or, or something customers have paid for, I think that speaks volumes and is maybe the most valuable thing you can do when it comes to speaking to investors. Right, yeah. And uh, so I know there are like a lot of uh, people who are in the working sector, who are corporate employees. And, uh, you know, as you said, some of them fall into the 200K uh, salary per year. Uh, say if they want to get into funding these VC funds, how how do how should they generally go about it? Well, I think if you are an alumni of uh, major universities in the US, Alumni Ventures mm-hmm. is a great way to get involved in VC um, as an mm-hmm. individual investor. Right. It allows you to to invest smaller checks into interesting pre you know pre vetted portfolio companies that the team has deemed to be high growth and high high potential. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a wonderful way to do it. Um, another way to get involved is to be an angel investor, is to deploy small checks into startups at you know very right. early stages um, to help them to you know build that MVP that I just talked about. Um, I think that's right. a wonderful way to to get involved in venture as an individual as a first step. Um, and then you know we can talk later down the line about how to how to be involved in 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 you know larger larger deals but i think mm-hmm. wedding your um dipping your toes into the into the angel pool is a great place to start right 
and say like to a person who has uh, you know no connections or no contacts about this whole angel pool i know like generally i see on linkedin like there are a lot of people saying you know i started angel investing and i always think to myself how do how did these people find these companies so what is your suggestion there as to how how can people find companies uh, before actually thinking about investing into them well i think i'll say first of all i'm not an angel investor so uh, i have yep. not experienced the the trials and tribulations of sourcing as an angel mm-hmm. but my first suggestion would be to just get involved in your local entrepreneurial community um right. if you live in a city or you'll, you'll be fortunate to be close to lots of accelerators lots of mm-hmm. um lots of events lots of pitch right. events go along try and meet founders build your network uh, be really intentional about putting yourself out there um and you know communicating the value that you can bring i think as an angel it is so important to be able to be that support system to a to a founder perhaps even more so than at the later stage because you are one of the right. earliest checks into a into Get a business. It, yeah so being able to add value is just so important so build your network is the key thing um get connected in small ways to to entrepreneurs in your local area and and find a way to demonstrate value whether that's you know helping a helping a business find talent or helping them to um you know vet contractors for whatever they may need um mm-hmm. you know suggesting a marketing firm or an accounting firm or anything anything as small right. as that um can really add value in the early stages so find a way to add value um you could also bring your own expertise to the table you know if you have a background in consulting it's a great way to to um to support founders uh so yeah find find where you add value or identify what your value add could be and uh network wow i feel like at the end of it everything comes down to networking it's like that's how you find all your opportunities <laughs> it really does it really does yeah but yeah the vc space sounds so much fun uh can you uh tell me how a day to day life looks like for a vc fellow as, uh, uh, in your experience sure So with Chavi Ventures as a VC fellow I get to work across a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. as you can imagine I get to um I get the opportunity to to meet founders and to do those early screening calls. So we might get a lot of inbound deal flow people being referred to to the team uh, or reaching out to the team directly. Um and as a VC fellow I will meet with founders virtually and do an initial screen of their of their business. Now we have a fairly rigorous scoring system that we apply to mm-hmm. all of our all of the businesses that we vet and okay. it sort of provides some structure when it comes to the analysis that I talked about earlier and allows us to have a sort of um kind of unified um system, you know, that everyone every business regardless of their industry is is, is scored against this rubric. Okay. Um so that's one part of the the role another part of the role will be writing deal memos so when startups get through to the stage where we we're, we're thinking about investing um i will help to draft the deal memo and that might be doing some market mapping or competitive analysis and just ensuring that these guys are really defensible against um against competitors in the market or to the first point the market mapping um 
exercise will be to you know demonstrate within the deal member the size of the market that this this company is addressing and what the size of the opportunity and potential upside could be uh, so deal memos is another significant part and then the third and final part um, is developing investment theses so a lot of what we do is doing research into a space and making sure that we understand where the opportunities are in that space for disruption and for um, investment so looking into a space such as femtech which is which is one i looked into recently um is is something it provides value to the fund in a way that um is hard to quantify because it's not directly deal related but it is so valuable because it helps the partners to think seriously about a space and understand right. uh, particularly as a generalist fund it helps them to go deep on a space and be able mm -hmm. to vet companies working uh in that sector in a more intelligent way Wow, it it looks like you have your hands full, like from the morning till the evening. <laughs> sort of feels like it. Yeah. Happy, I, to be, happy to be busy. Yes, I could see the smile when I asked you, like how your day to day looks like, and that's when you know that a person is really passionate about what they're doing. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I know, like it's twenty twenty two right now, and there's a lot of. talk about market downturns and a lot of vcs uh, stopping their funding uh, because they're not uh, sure as to how the market is going to proceed so uh, during these times what do vc funds generally do like uh, what kind of role do they take on at, during these times well first of all i'd say that i am a naturally very optimistic person so <laughs> that should uh inform you about the tone of my response and and <laughs> and maybe take it with a pinch of salt um right. but i mean that said uh, in the current market situation um valuations are down startups are being held to higher quality standards you know we're looking at businesses and saying can they navigate through this period effectively um mm -hmm. can they come out stronger um so there is a more kind of stringent um process when it comes to assessing a deal uh, on yeah. our side um so that is that is one thing that 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 founders perhaps have to contend with in in a period such as this um on the on the fundraising side it's hard to say how that has impacted us mm -hmm. for the moment um people are still going to invest in venture capital even in times of economic downturn simply right. because uh there are a lot of startups that come out of difficult times i mean post the right. 2008 um financial crisis was a was a great time for for certain sectors of 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 the startup world and i think um i think people people know that people see that um and they will they will continue to want to be part of that um part of that upside um more generally um but yeah overall i would say that uh economic downturns sort of force vcs to um to kind of to double down on their convictions right. you know mm -hmm. so if you really believe that there is potential in a space um there is likely potential in the space in the long term i mean vc is a long game as we talked about you know the life cycle right. of a fund is 10 years yeah so sure. as long as you are investing as long as you continue and have always been investing in areas that have good long-term growth prospects mm -hmm. um i think i think you can weather um storms like this yeah that's true <laughs> we've weathered a lot of recession uh, cycles so this is also going to be a cake in, a walk in the cake so let's see <laughs> well fingers crossed yes <laughs> 
uh, one other thing you mentioned was that as a VC fellow, you do a lot of research in a particular space to understand it better. Apart from money, what do startups get from VCs? Oh, that is such a great question. Startups, I hope, get a lot from VCs yeah. um, beyond the capital. So I think the primary way a VC adds value to the startups in their portfolio is through their network. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coming back to networking as <laughs> as ever. Um, but in the in the context of you know you you know supporting a portfolio company, network can mean any number of things. So it can mean helping them with hiring. It can mean helping them to acquire customers, helping to connect them to big corporates who might be customers if it's a B2B business, um, supporting them with, um, you know, with with expertise in the space. So, you know, if you were a sector focused VC, if you're someone who's got a strong background in consumer, um, in D2C businesses, and you're supporting a portfolio company, then you might have insight into um, some of the problems and, and, and solutions that are relevant to that space. So that can be really valuable um, to a founder. Um, and I guess the, the, the final part of the networking piece is, is really that, you know, VCs are well connected or they should be if they're good VCs. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to raising your, your next round, a great VC will refer you to potential future investors and will help you build as a founder, help you build your, your network of VCs. Right. Yeah. And, uh, w- one specific thing you mentioned was sector-based VCs where they would have a lot of good connections. And one sector that I am really focused on right now is the web three crypto space, which is changing so rapidly. So as VCs, how do you track these changes? Because it it's on a daily basis, you keep getting new news and there's a lot of noise. So how do you work on this? It can be really hard <laughs> to, to, to stay up to date on a space. I'll tell you that. Um, but it can also be really enjoyable. And if you're really mm-hmm. passionate about the space you're working in, it doesn't feel like a slog. Um, the way to do it is just to um, be a relentless consumer of information. So subscribe to all of the newsletters that are relevant to your space. Right. Set up Google alerts for topics you care about find people who are also really interested in your space and have regular coffee chats with them, you know, mm-hmm. just sit and chat about the latest trends in, in web three with, with a friend who likes the space as well. I think all of those are really great ways to stay on top of, um, the latest developments in your space. Um, and I think it is, it, it, it can be hard if you're, rep, if you are working across a lot of different sectors, but it is it is really important to to know what's going on and to know what works and what doesn't work in the space if you're a VC. Right, yeah. Uh, so I think the next one is a personal question. You've already mentioned that your hypothesis of you know be, uh, uh, of becoming a VC, you're on track to do that. So how does one break into VC? I know there are multiple paths. You would have explored them. So I'd like you to talk about that. <laughs> Sure. I think the way to break into VC is kind of a, a blend of a lot of the things I've already mentioned, actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm afraid I'm going to say the, the networking thing again. <laughs> just so important uh, to, to build your network and to um, connect with people in the space as much as you possibly can. Uh, the second thing is really to just find your passion area and go deep. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, as I said before, do you know, make use of all those resources, find people who are passionate about the same thing as you, and just do your best to become an expert on the space. I think something that is really attractive in VC interviews is someone who has a real passion area. Maybe it's niche or maybe it's general, but I think just something that you feel you can speak credibly about um, and you are up to date on. I think that is one of the most important things and um, will set you apart in in VC interviews. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll say finally, just on the networking piece, I know that you know a lot of people maybe don't have those ready-built networks, right? Mm-hmm. So at Duke, there's a there's a lot of ways in which to get involved in, in startups and, and the ecosystem, whether locally or nationally. And there is a network of people to connect to who will take your call. And that's great. But if you if you don't have that ready-built network, which a lot of people don't have, um, I would say, perhaps this is not the opinion <laughs> of all VCs, but I would say just reach out to people. I think you'd be surprised how many people will actually answer a cold email um, or a cold, out, you know, an outreach on LinkedIn. Um, it's not it's not a huge percent. You you may get ignored by 80, 70, 80 percent of the of the, you know, um, feelers you put out. But I think it is it is a surprisingly effective way. I think because VCs are so dependent on their network for good deal flow and to stay up to date on a space, then it then naturally predisposed to want to to foster new connections um, right. from anywhere. So I think I would say to people to just try, just reach out, see what people see if people come back to you. Um, and now that we're in a post pandemic world or mid post pandemic world, go to events, go to, go yeah. to free events, <laughs> um, meet, meet people in person. Um, everyone's dying to do that these days. So um, take advantage of that. So, uh, so you uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you spoke about uh, impact investing. You uh, you strive towards impact investing, and from your LinkedIn, you've uh, mentioned that you like to support female founders, climate tech, and digital and financial inclusion. So, what uh, made you decide like you want to focus on these three, and you know you want to go f- hard on them? That is a great question. Uh, so, I think my my background should really tell you a lot about what my motivations are more generally. Um, right. Because, you know, I used to work for a social enterprise. Impact has always been important to me. Um, it's always mattered mm-hmm. to me that my work has meaning and that I feel like I'm adding value to the world when I wake up every day. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to do that. But one of the ways that, that I, you know, that I've fallen in love with is this VC space. So right. I... I think for for me in general, I'm always impressed by companies and by founders who are, you know, they are trying to change the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I think areas like, you know, people who people who are, um, you know, diverse founding teams, uh, people who are working in sectors like climate tech or digital and financial inclusion, these are all um, people, and these are areas where I think the opportunity for impact is just vast. Um, and it is also, these are also areas where VC investment has a role to play. You know, there's not always a space for VC to make a difference in every single sector, but I think in those areas, right. VC can have an outsized impact. Uh, so mm-hmm. that opportunity has always been, you know, that opportunity in general has always been exciting to me and is in particular in the VC context is, is, is super exciting to me. Good idea. 
that's like really interesting like i'm super excited to see your journey from here to you know getting there and supporting all these founders and yeah jenny this has been a great conversation and uh, i wanted to uh, uh you know to see i wanted to know to see if uh, you had any last words about advice for any people who are looking into vc or any general advice absolutely so i think if you're looking to get into vc just my f- number one piece of advice is develop a very thick skin and i think the same is true right. for funds yeah. to raise vc funding is learn to take learn to take a rejection learn to take a no mm-hmm. really well and that's hard it's a really hard thing to learn yeah um but also also remember that you know for every for every no that someone gives you that's not that's an opportunity you don't want anyway you do not want the opportunity from someone who doesn't want to help you or doesn't want to connect um and it makes you take those yeses so much so you know so much better it makes you you know really um value those those yeses so i think develop that thick skin um and just i i would say stay optimistic yes definitely i think what i've learned three things from you is develop a thick skin stay optimistic and stay curious absolutely three very yes. important lessons <laughs> so, so yeah thank you so much jenny uh, thank you all for tuning in for the ones who listen to this podcast mm-hmm.